Corey is easy target. That's it. And Dean is, what is it again, Dean? Rolling Napoleon. Rolling Napoleon. That's okay. it. Like Napoleon Dynamite. Um, yeah, Rolling Napoleon. That's it. These are a lot of names, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's Jeremiah Stringer, a.k.a. Yosemite Sam. Wait a minute. You guys are taking notes? What are we taking notes on already? I'm just writing down his trail yeah. name. I mean, well, I, he wrote down ours. Yeah, I don't want to forget that. Oh, okay. That's I see what it is. All yeah. guns and knives on the table, yeah. fellas. Isn't yeah. that proper decorum? <laughs> I say let's kick some theme music, get this right. bad boy rolling while I get some coffee. Yeah, we are advanced where we have coffee. Uh, you know, normally we have food and all that, but. That's yeah. okay. I'll just Do enjoy we? the green M&Ms in the green room. All right, here we go. Queuing up the theme in three, two, one. In the heart of a champion, there is a fire. And the flames are controlled by burning desire. To be the best you can be. It is good to be back in the recording studio here at the Undisclosed Location. We've got a special surprise for you today on this edition of the Code of Man podcast. Wait for it. It's cut. Wait. Christ lives in the heart of a champion. And that is our good friend Bruce Fry bringing us in with Heart of a Champion. And we are a room full of beating hearts today. Just excited with man crushes right and left. <laughs> we have... <laughs> hey, guys, that was... That was pretty good. I should probably be serious here. Yeah. This may go down as like one of the most awkward podcast <laughs> yeah. openings in the yeah, history of the Code man, man Crush. What in the world? There's no going back. I mean, we well, anyway. say BFF. We, we, don't, we don't do that kind of stuff here. <laughs> Apparently, we do. What I was trying to say Sorry, was we on. are... Very excited today to welcome our first guest of this season two of the Code of Man podcast. We have none other than a legend in his own a legend in his own time. Well, he's a legend. That's yeah, all a, I know. He's a legend in his own right. I a legend in his go. own right. Yeah, I got you. That's what I was trying to say, ladies and gentlemen. We are glad to welcome Jeremiah Stringer. Welcome to the Code of Man. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. We are excited to have you. You are our first guest of this year, this season, whatever the proper terminology is, and by far, by far, the best-looking guest we've ever had. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I can't argue with that. I don't even know who the other <laughs> guest is. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, I want to say this right up front now. I've got to get this out of the way. There, There is a little bit of awkwardness in the room, and, and you don't know this, but... <laughs> You are a threat to someone in the room on our side. Now, uh, for, for the, the, the listening uh, crew out there, Jeremiah is not with us. He's, he's coming to us remotely. We can see him. He can see us. But in the room where we are at the undisclosed location, the, you are a threat to, well, let's just say it this way, the former most sought-after guest on the Code oh. podcast, <laughs> Roland Napoleon, yeah. is no longer 
the most sought-after guest. Well, somehow or another, I'm a part of the crew now. I'm not even a guest, so I don't even get a check in the mail anymore. That's right. Which I'm still waiting on the first one, by the way. But, yeah, no longer the best-looking guest, no longer the most sought-after guest. It's uh, still kind of bittersweet. Still the most humble, though. Yes, yeah, very humble. Very humble. <laughs> so, Jeremiah, enough about rolling Napoleon. Yeah, that's enough. Um, you are a high school math teacher. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we just recently, on our podcast here, we were talking about vocation and calling and how a man, much of a man's fulfillment is in his work and fulfilling that calling in his life. So how did you wind up teaching? I come from a really small town in rural Kentucky, and there's not a whole lot going on, right? Small town, small high school, you know, there's just not a whole lot of people to really look up to economic wise, like job wise. So, you know, some of the people I was surrounded by growing up that I saw as successful were teachers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're looking, maybe it'd be different if I had grown up somewhere else. I don't know. But I grew up very poor. You know, we didn't have a whole lot and we moved a lot. You know, the stable environment was school. And so I was like, well, if, if I want stability and, you know, I have these people that I've looked up to. Why don't I try this? I loved teaching and I happened to be good at math. Was terrible. And then uh, went to high school and somehow it started clicking for me. Wow. So Never happened for me. I, was, <laughs> I guess it doesn't happen for a lot of people. I don't know the statistics on that. But it seems like it's pretty prevalent that it, <laughs> it doesn't click. So I was like, you know, I grew up like this and... I really wanted to change my family tree. So we don't have any children and I'm, I'm 28, my wife's 27 and uh, we haven't started trying to have kids or anything like that. But I was like, whenever I am ready to have kids, I want them, I want my family tree to be different. So I kind of use that as inspiration. Whenever I go to work is like, I'm my job here is to help others change their family tree too. Mm-hmm. You know, you can help the ones that are honors and they're, they're already great at things. They have a stable environment, but the really the ones that fall through the cracks that, you know, the odds are stacked against them. You know, you got equality and equity and they're two different things. So, you know, I had to work hard, iron a scholarship to pay for school and, you know, played sports and learn discipline. And if I can help others do that, like that's what I'm trying to do. So that's how I got into teaching. That's excellent. You know, it sounds like a canned phrase, but it's an honorable profession, but it actually really is. And there are a few things more honorable than teaching. And whether it's in the setting you're in or in life, and you're combining both. Yeah. And you can, it transcends, like you said, transcends almost everything. And it just so happens that I picked the one that's like formal education. You know, I I started backpacking and stuff and started this YouTube channel, and I kind of had the same mindset of, you know, you, you really want to teach people and help people that are at like level one or whatever. You want them to help reach, you want to help them reach their potential. So teaching, I, I kind of find sometimes it's a bit annoying because you, you want to be a fixer. You want to step in and teach somebody something. And then uh, sometimes that, that's not what they need at that time. We're going to get to your teaching backpacking because that has been pretty entertaining in itself. And I would guess that if you are teaching math, the way you teach backpacking, you, you're probably uh, impacting some lives. The way we became familiar with you was 
due to my technological savvy, and I, I don't want any credit for that, but I just, in all seriousness, I was just learning about this podcasting thing a little over a year ago, and we, I don't know what I first, how I first got into that, who put me on track. It might have been one of our former guests uh, mm-hmm. put me on a podcast uh, that I listened to a few times, and then we started talking about, I said, you know what, maybe we could do more with our work here if we started the podcast and so I'm listening to some different podcasts and I said you know there's probably a backpacking podcast out there so I searched it boom there you were and the first backpacking podcast I ever listened to was you and John and uh, that was a little over a year ago what did I find but episode six of the backpacking podcast now I don't know if you remember do you remember episode six because you guys are at like 50-some now. <laughs> yeah, we're, I think we're at like 50 to 55, somewhere in there. That was a while back. Yes, episode six. And I was listening to this, and your partner was talking about the, you know, this hiking that he had been on, this hiking trip. And, and you were just listening to his story, and you were kind of doing that Jeremiah laugh and uh, just making some comments. And the, the phrase that hooked me was when he talked about his – group that was hiking took a wrong turn and ended up in a lumber yard and you said dude there's no hiking in a lumber yard <laughs> and i lost it <laughs> and i, I thought remember. i thought to myself this guy is a kentucky fried space cadet <laughs> but i was wrong i was wrong that was a first impression and the more i listened i was like no this you know you 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 know a lot you've put a lot of time into this thing of backpacking you've learned a lot fast and I've enjoyed listening to, to that and to your, uh, by the way, we'll just go ahead and throw this in, let you tell about it, Jeremiah Stringer Hikes, your whole social media presence, your YouTube channel and all that. So it's been good. Tell us about that, how you, how you guys got started in those things. It's like t- two separate things. So, you know, I, in 2018, I believe it was, my father-in-law asked me if I wanted to go um, – like hiking through the Smokies. And I was like, yeah, I mean, sure. Why not? And I was like, how's it work? And he's like, well, we're going to be out there for four or five days. And I was like, wait a second, hiking for four or five days. That doesn't make sense. Like, where are you going to sleep? Are y'all getting a hotel and you're driving back and forth? And you know, I'd never heard of this backpacking stuff, maybe like in a movie in Europe and people are exploring the, the cultures, but not in the woods. So, you know, I had grown up in the woods hunting and fishing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was pretty comfortable being there, but I didn't know anything about the gear that you would need or anything like that. So uh, I started asking around and doing research and watching YouTube videos and asking friends. And some of them were like, yeah, I've, I've been before. And uh, I remember two people in particular. They, they were fairly experienced. One of them was one of my students at school. And his name is Ethan. And I was like, so Ethan, tell me about it. He's like, well, I went last year in Colorado and we did like a 10 day trip or like a two week trip. And I guess they resplot and stuff on that. And I was like, well, what's it like? And he described it to me. And I was like, that sounds really fun. And I was like, what all do you have to have? He's telling me about all this gear. And I was like, man, I don't have any of that. And that sounds really expensive. Like every hobby you get into seems like it's a different set of gear. It's really expensive. I was like, I may hate this. So it's a few months out until I have to do the trip. So I start asking people to borrow gear. And sure enough, that student let me borrow his backpack that he had taken. And uh, for those that don't know much about backpacking, 
you know, you take this backpack, you walk through the woods and it has everything that you need in it for a day or multiple days. So this backpack was like a 90 liter backpack, which is big. <laughs> and, you know, I had that thing stuffed so full on this trip that we went on. You, you couldn't close it, you know, <laughs> close, just everything. So I went on the trip and it was on the Appalachian Trail from Fontana Dam to, uh, I actually ended up going to Newfound Gap. We we're supposed to pull out before that, but I met some through hikers and I'd went with a total of three other people. And I was like, man, these through hikers are awesome. I was like, I'm going to keep hiking with them. And then I'm from Kentucky. So Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and that kind of stuff is very close to me. And we've been there a bunch on vacation. I was like, let me show these through hikers, which are people that are, they've been out there for at least a month or two at this point, hiked several hundred miles. I was like, let me show them around Gatlinburg. So I did. And I kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, man, this backpacking is awesome. And, uh, you know, I returned the gear slowly, but surely to the two or three people that I borrowed it from started collecting my own gear. And then my father-in-law again, um, he was like, well, you want to keep doing this? And I was like, yeah, man, let's go. I was like, let's do another four-day trip. So we did a, a trail through Tennessee. And it's called the, the JMT, but it's not the famous one. You know, it's like 40 or 50 miles. We through-hiked it, and I was like, man, this is awesome. On this trip, you know, I got to share this with people. I kept going on these trips. And uh, I filmed this one with my cell phone. And then I uploaded it to YouTube. And that was October. I believe I did a video October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And just did like the days of my trip, one each day, and then published that. And of course, you know, they're terrible. You go back and watch them. I was like, that was pretty cool. And so then November rolled around and I kept researching, like, how do you get better at YouTube? How do you get better at filming? That kind of stuff. And then December came around and I was like, I want to take this seriously. So I decided to do this challenge where I published a video every day through December. And that was uh, quite the challenge. And I went through Christmas and then fast forward a little longer and the channel started to grow. And, you know, I met some amazing people through that experience, you know, just doing the YouTube and, and all that. And then John, I met him. He actually... He lived in Wisconsin, in the same city that I had met another guy that done YouTube just randomly. And, you know, Jeremiah Stringer? And he was like, no. He's like, you should call him. He lives like an hour south of you. So John lives up in Lexington. And, you know, I'm in the Lake Cumberland area. And it's very, very close to where John lives. So he called me. And I was actually on my way to a trip. I was flying to Vermont to hike from Massachusetts to Canada. And so I talked to John the whole time on that trip. And then we did some trips together. And then one time we were just sitting around the campfire and there's a few other guys there, but nobody's talking except for John and I. And they were just sitting around laughing. And he's like, we need to start a podcast. I was like, dude, I don't want to do a podcast. Like that is just more work, you know? And I'm like, look, I'll do it if you do everything for it. But of course, you start getting into it and there's things you want to do this way and that way and you start splitting up the work. Then uh, you start gaining an audience over time and, you know, it becomes fun. I mean, there's work involved, but it becomes fun. And then now, you know, we're it's a nice little side hustle. We get to meet some amazing people, you know, and it creates opportunities like this where I get to meet you guys. And then, you know, you all have an audience and... They get to like, quote unquote, meet me, but you know, they're all part of this conversation and 
then the opportunities just uh, go from there. So we'll see what the future holds. Well, we are definitely going to be recommending to our backpacking group to tune into your stuff and, and learn from what you've been learning and teaching. So the, the YouTube channel is, I've watched several of your, your things. Now, I don't, full disclosure here, I don't know a whole lot about the YouTube stuff, uh, mm. but I know how to find it on my computer and pull it up. And I know there's a way to subscribe and get stuff, but I think you got to be like a member. I don't know. Anyway, you all can tell me about that later on. But I will say this. I've watched several of yours, and you do a lot of stuff for beginning backpackers. You do a lot of like, you know, seven seven myths about backpacking, seven mistakes that I made. You can speak to this. But I just watched one today on five hacks. And I'm not going to tell these guys what I learned from it because if they don't go watch it and I do the stuff you said, they'll be like, man, he knows so much. I <laughs> <laughs> trick them into it. Yeah. My whole deal with YouTube is like it. it's a platform and an avenue for you to have a voice. And it, it's complicated, but to simplify things, my whole goal is to to help beginners, you know, get better at backpacking if there is such a thing as better. But basically, that could be defined as like raising your quality of life while you're on trail. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want want everybody to be safe. Like that's number one for you to be at least semi prepared whenever you go out there. So I do like that's my major demographic and from a business perspective there are always going to be new people getting into something so like you see youtube channels about everything but many of them are tailored toward beginners because those are the people seeking information you can only do two things whenever you have a platform like like what we're talking about with youtube or podcast or whatever you can either inform people or you can entertain people and if you can do both then that's a great combination, but you have to pick one of those goals. So I try to do a little of both, but the main goal is to inform people so that they have a better time whenever they go out into the woods. Or possibly, sometimes I get these comments and people will be like, man, I I don't even, I never even heard of backpacking, but for some reason the algorithm suggested this video and I thought you're funny or you have a funny accent or whatever and I subscribed <laughs> and now I'm thinking about trying it you're out. You're like, what accent? Uh, you're the one with the accent. Right. <laughs> yeah, you I get a lot of that. Well, it, it uh, you they are funny. I was looking at one where uh, you were talking about being afraid in the woods. I can't give away too much of it. Just people need to go watch them. But uh, you're like, I got my list of things that I'm afraid of, and uh, my eyes only. You know, <laughs> it's a little funny stuff you do like that. It's pretty good. I and I know that takes a lot of time to put that stuff together. When, yeah. when you don't have a crew like I got right here. <laughs> yeah, it's a one-man show. <laughs> and I, I, the, the good thing is, is the longer you do it, th- this is a little bit, I think, taboo. People don't like to talk a whole lot about money. But mm-hmm. you make money, right? You can work with companies, and you can make money. I think integrity is super important because if you work with a company, whatever your job is, and then – that you're shortchanging somebody, all you have is your reputation. Mm. So you have to keep that in mind. So you have this platform and you can make money and that's nice. You know, it helps reinforce the motivation that you have. You didn't just spend 20 hours making something just so that you're helping people and then you're commenting back with for, back and forth with people. But for like the first two, <laughs> two years or more, like 
you're talking pocket change, but now, I mean, it's great, man. My wife and I, we have been, we have been doing some, uh, like Dave Ramsey-esque things. And last month, like YouTube helped us, you know, a little here and there, pay off the rest of our debt. You know? awesome. So we just owe on our house, but it takes a lot of time, you know, and you're sacrificing that time with your family. So, so it's another job. Yeah, it's give and take because if you spend an extra 30 hours a week working on something, that's 30 hours of free time that you would have had to spend with your family. Yeah. So that's why I don't I don't think it should be dirty to talk about the money side and that kind of thing, even though it does turn some people off. It enables you to do other things and help people more. It frees up. If you needed the money and you had to work another job to make that money, to make ends meet, and you could be doing something that you're passionate about that you can also make money at, Hey man, you check Mark both boxes. Yeah, yeah, we're we're back into the genesis of the code right there, which is a series that we recently have done on you know what the code of man is all about: being made in the image of God, bearing God's image, and you know we talked about one of the very first things God gave Adam was work to do. We believe Adam was pretty passionate about that work; he loved what he did, and so what you just described is what all men, you know, all people, but should be looking for it's very hard to live a happy life when you're not fulfilled Mm. and if you are in a situation that you're not fulfilled i I always i mean it's easier said than done but urge people to seek out what that passion is and yeah i remember i was hired as a teacher and you know the job interview it went great and i asked for a tour of the school and the principal she was like, yeah, I'll give you a tour. And we were just walking around making small talk. She was talking about other hires. I, you know, I wanted to know who all had interviewed for the position because I want to know how competitive it was because I wanted the job. And she was telling me about hiring and stuff. I don't remember a whole lot about it, but I remember she said, I was like, yeah, maybe one day I will be a principal and, you know, things like that. I was, I was always kind of a leader in, in things I did. She was like, well, let me give you some advice. Don't ever hire somebody that wants to do another job. If you hire somebody that's teaching to make money and they want to be a police officer, they're going to find a way to make that happen and they're going to leave and they're not going to be as good at their job as they would have been if it had been their passion. Mm-hmm. And that always stuck with me, you know, in the back of my mind. The, the people that you're working with or the people working for you, you know, you want to try as hard as you can to, to make sure that their job is fulfilling and that they are you know, pursuing their passion. I think it, it helps you be happier. Yeah. Some great counsel to uh, follow up some of those discussions we've been having. Yeah. I got a question because you mentioned, so you've only been backpacking for about two years and had no prior involvement or, or any kind of experience with it. And that's a, a little bit of a similar situation to what I was in when I first came here and got into it, you know, camping, backpacking, my idea of outdoor activities in the woods was normally on the back of a four-wheeler and a mud hole. You know, that was that was what I did. And so, you know, when I came here and started backpacking and doing all this kind of stuff, you know, my family, like my parents, my siblings and stuff like that was like, who are you? You don't, you don't do this stuff. What in the world? So, you know, did you have any kind of like, like similar experience with, you know, folks being like, what, you know, this isn't you. Are you just doing it? Like, how did that go? Well, it's kind of hard to answer. I I try not to go deep too deep here, but y'all can y'all can dictate 
how how long this goes. So growing up, I was always like chubby, and then you you put on weight. I graduated college. You know, my wife and I got married. She started cooking, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, you're heavy. I was pushing about 300 pounds, and I was like, I, I can't do the things that I want to do. I remember I loved playing pickup basketball, and my body just quit on me, like my knees at a student faculty basketball game. And I went to the doctor, and they were like, you know, you are too fat. You need to either change your activities to suit your lifestyle, or you need to lose weight and be more active. And I did physical therapy for my knees, and then I was in the best shape of my life. And that, I think that confidence, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, I accept my body. And I probably felt that way too, or just ignore your health or not claim that you don't care a whole lot about what you look like. But confidence is very, very important. And it'll, it'll take you really far in life and get you to a lot of places that you want to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that happened with me. So I cut all this weight and all of a sudden that opened up a completely new avenue of clothing that I could wear. I started researching like how to be more fashionable you know, watching YouTube videos on mistakes to avoid whenever you're, you know, whatever, dressing up for work. So I'd wear a tie every day and a sport coat. I'd never put, besides prom in high school, I'd never put a jacket on in my entire life. And then all of a sudden now, you know, I'm working, I get voted best dressed. And I went from like wearing dad shoes every day and you know a polo with a a messed up collar and some oversized khakis with my belly hanging over to now like i have a not now (laughs) right now i don't (laughs) um i had a six pack you know i was i was really cut and i was weightlifting like five or six days a week and i was doing cardio four or five days a week and you're just like confident and your clothes fit differently and your sleeves are hugging your your biceps and triceps that led to trying other things too. You know, that gave me the confidence of, he wants me to try backpacking. Well, I know I'm physically able because, you know, if I can deadlift 350, 400 pounds, surely I can go walk in the woods for a few miles. Yeah. And then that, I don't think I got pushback necessarily, but I think that people were seeing that I was growing up. You know, I started teaching when I was 21 and then a couple of years go by and you start growing up, your brain is finally fully developed and you start making different decisions and using more common sense and decide what things are, are holding you back or what things do you want to pursue. And so I think people saw that and they see not that there's a different you, but you have a different mindset, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. That whole discussion, you know, because we wanted to talk a little bit about that, you know, you know, because you have, you know, you talked about before, we've heard you talk about losing the weight, and I agree with you. I think that it matters to people more than they let on. So it's helpful to hear somebody who's done that say, hey, look, you know, I was there, and you, you can do this, It's and it'll help you. Confidence, by the way. I remember Chuck Norris said, Chuck Norris said, you don't really have to be the best martial artist, but if you'll carry yourself and look like somebody that they don't want to mess with, that's the best self-defense technique there is. It makes sense. Well, I mean, that explains that explains the way Napoleon walks around, that's right? That's it. That's it. If Chuck Norris said it, it's got to be true, right? 
and it also goes deeper than just your image. Like you're, you're having higher self-efficacy in things and your self-worth is higher. Mm. And I, I mean, mental illness is a, it's a pandemic across the world. And I mean, it's especially an epidemic in the U.S. And you can attribute that to a lot of factors. And I think one of those factors is how we take care of our body. The things that we put in our body has a direct relationship with, you know, how much inflammation you have and all that kind of stuff, how much fat you're gaining or losing. But it also has, you're putting fuel into your body that fuels your brain. Mm -hmm. Your heart's Mm -hmm. pumping blood and that's going to your brain. You know, I'm not saying that what you eat is going to change your mental health, but it can definitely change your perspective and it can, it can really help you. And if you're honest, I mean, there's only one person you can't fool and it's yourself, right? So if you're honest with yourself, sometimes you got to make big boy decisions Mm. and it's hard. And most people don't want to do things that are hard. And if you don't want to, then nobody can make you. But at some point, hopefully you get your butt in gear and and you work hard and you do the things that you want to do and a big part of that i think is not necessarily physical fitness but taking care of your mental and physical health my my question for you first of all i really appreciate and respect you as a teacher because i'm i'm married to a teacher my wife teaches third grade so my question to you kind of along those lines of just from from backpacking as a whole has that helped you at all as a teacher I think so. I, the main thing that comes to mind is I try not to live my life where it's stressful, but sometimes you get a bit overwhelmed because there's things outside of your control that they still affect you. You know, it's from the top down. And as much as you want to, there's things that you can't change about what you have to do, especially when you're employed. And backpacking, it gives you an opportunity to go from a world that's just swirling with competition for your attention to complete isolation. And I think that that's a powerful tool that you can use just like people meditate and that kind of thing. You can do the same thing with the woods. It can be a stress reliever. It can be an opportunity for self-reflection and it gives you a chance to, you know, not only get in touch with yourself, but also like spiritually, I was talking about this last night with, you know, our life group met and we were talking about Satan doesn't, he's not very blatant typically. He doesn't just come up and be like, we're talking about these shoes. I don't know if y'all have seen these, but uh, Lil Nas X, who is a rapper, yeah. released these uh, Satan Nikes that there's a lawsuit about. And we we're talking about how it's, we don't necessarily think that that is a move by Satan because he's usually not that blatant. He mm-hmm. usually, I don't, I don't know about for you guys, but for me, it's a lot of distractions, things that get in your way that become, they create distance between you and God. Yeah. And I think that he uses those all the time. And those are very difficult tools for him to use whenever it's just you and nature or yep. you and a buddy. And you can talk about whatever you want and there's nobody hovering over you and you don't have to worry about getting a text message or having to respond to somebody about something, you know? So I think backpacking that in that aspect is, has helped with teaching, but also 
backpacking led to me creating the YouTube channel and the kids are very tech savvy. Yeah. And so that can create a connection between you and them. You know, they're like, Oh, I live stream gaming on Tuesdays and some of my friends watch, not me, but I'm saying if I were a kid and they say that to you and then you can be like, wow, I, I live stream on Mondays and we talk to blah, blah, blah. So it gives you, it also gives you connections too. You know, with the code of man, with what we're doing here, we're trying to help not just young men, but that's a primary target, really to help them develop as men. And we have some virtues of manliness that we try to instill. And just this conversation already has brought out, has probably highlighted every one of those. The code stands for Christ-Centered Outdoor Discipleship Experience. And, And what has been the primary outdoor discipleship experience has been the backpacking. And so we see that as as a way to to the point that you were just making, it's a way that we can physically enter into what Scripture calls a way of holiness. Because when you're out there backpacking, there's a singularity there. You know, you have one purpose, and that allows your world to shrink down. It allows your mind to shrink down so that you can focus on God and understanding His Word and what He is saying to you. And then the solitude of backpacking, again, you, you alluded to this, the solitude of being there. And even though you might be with buddies, sometimes, you know, you get, you get when we purposefully create time and space for everybody to have an hour in the evenings alone with the Lord. Just go spend time in prayer and reading. And then we come back together and we, we talk about what God is teaching us. And then the simplicity of backpacking, whether it's a 90-liter backpack or, you know, or smaller, but really, everything is on your back. I mean, it just shrinks the world down to where there's this opportunity to really get there and, and, and cut all the rest of that clutter out, which you so perfectly just described. So I think you've already answered one of the key questions. You know, how has backpacking helped you to become a better man? But let's talk more specifically. When you look at your Christian life, how has backpacking helped your walk with Christ develop? Whenever you're in that distraction-free environment and you're, you're by yourself, then there's no barrier between you and prayer, especially. Right. And you often find yourself so busy during the day that you've put God off to the very end of your day. And how much more powerful would it be if you started your day with God? And I mean, I'm guilty of this every like every day. But how much how much better would my day go if I didn't save my Bible plan for right before bed and I didn't say prayer only whenever I'm eating or after I like as I'm falling asleep. Mm-hmm. So whenever you're in that distraction free environment, then there's nothing to pull you away. I mean, you're literally out there surrounded by the same thing that you're made of. Yeah. And God made man from earth. And so I think that's where that connection comes from with you out there and you're experiencing nature. So I don't, I don't think I have a really good answer to your question. Actually, I, I would say to... that's a great answer because yeah. if, if what you just said, if some of the young guys that go with us, if they were to answer that question the way you just said it, I would say, well, taking them out there has been a success. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you're doing that. You've got it. You know the value of going out there. But for especially young guys who've never had that experience, to get them out there, and, and, well, I mean, Easy Target has testified to it, but really, Napoleon, too, you both came to this backpacking thing, and I think you've experienced what Jeremiah just described. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 31 years old, and I've grown up in a in a very Christian home my entire life. You know, my my dad was my pastor from the ages of 13 until 28 when I when I came here. You know, but starting backpacking and getting out there, like like what you're saying that that experience of getting out from the distractions, getting around the stuff that you're made of, I have a lot in common with easy target on this and then even even you uh talking about how you started around 2018 i think i started in 2019 i believe but just going back to that word simplicity for me just being out there and all those distractions at first for me the whole backpacking was a trip just going to take a break get to know these guys doing something this this coda man started out but then the more i did it the more former practices I started to get rid of. And they weren't necessarily bad things, but it was just like, okay, why do I need to check my phone all the time? Why do I need all these these different hobbies? This is so simple. And I'm getting out here. I'm closer to God. I'm making better relationships, more meaningful conversations. So that, sim- that simplicity part for me was a big one as well. It's really powerful. And you don't, you don't realize, I mean, I think that everybody needs it. I think it's programmed into you that if if you live your life the way that we do in like today, then you, you have to, I don't know if decompress is the right word for it, but I mean, Jesus did it. Mm-hmm. Jesus, how, how often did he, you know, he's doing all these things in his short ministry. And then he's like, okay, <laughs> I have to go. I'm yeah. going by myself, distraction free. And I'm just going to pray. And it's just me. And I think that we need that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're talking our language. You and I uh, talked a little bit before about your you know, your testimony, how you came to Christ. Uh, can you speak sure. to that for just a moment too? Absolutely. So my parents, my grandparents, right? they uh, grew up in eastern rural Kentucky, small towns just across the board. And my grandparents were like on fire, holiness, Pentecostal preacher. And then, uh, you know, their parents before them, same thing. So I remember growing up, my mom, she was like kind of in and out of church. And then she got really solid into the church that my grandfather, her dad, was preaching at. And, And I remember I got to high school and she would make me go to church every Sunday, and they'd have church on Saturday nights too. So Saturday and Sunday, but no Wednesday. And when you're a kid, a lot of times you go to church because you have to. You go to all these functions because you have to. And so I did. And then you say the prayers, and I remember, I don't know, I was probably nine or 10 or 11, somewhere in there. And it's almost not like I'm tricked into salvation, but something like that. It's a lot of traditionalism, a lot of legalism. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe that works for some people, but it, whenever I was a kid, it was obligatory for me. And then I remember I got to high school and my parents beliefs were that you couldn't as a, a female cut your hair as a male, you couldn't wear like sleeveless shirts. You couldn't wear shorts, no makeup, paint your nails, anything like that. And I remember thinking, wow, this is very restrictive. And I had a high school gym class and I was working as hard as I could. 
I knew at the time, even though I was a kid, I couldn't pay for college. So I was working as hard as I could to get as good grades as I could. And I remember my gym teacher, he was like, if you don't change out clothes in here, then you are going to get a C, even if you do everything. And I was like, I have to wear shorts. And I was like, this is non-negotiable. So I told mom, and she was like, well, I'm not buying those. And she was like, if you're going to wear them, you're going to buy them yourself. And so I did. And then I kept growing up and I went to college. And that really, how strict that was on me growing up without having any framework of critical thinking toward what like God's intentions are, Mm -hmm. what Jesus's two commandments were. You know, these things weren't addressed. It was more along the lines of this is what our interpretation of what the Bible says is, and this is what you're going to follow. And anything other than that, you are walking a fine line between like damnation. Like this is blasphemy for you to question X, Y, Z, whatever it happened to be. And so you just kind of had to accept things as truths. And I remember I was like, that this really turned me away from being a Christ follower or anything. So I kind of like swore it off. I went to college like a hundred miles away from my hometown. And all of a sudden I went from this tiny place to being at a university with 30,000 people. And then all of a sudden you realize that not everybody's like you and you start seeing all these other cultures. And the school that I went to was like 98% white. And now all of a sudden, you know, there's more people of color than there are white people. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be in situations where you're the minority. And it really like started opening my eyes to other people's beliefs. And so I was like, wow, this is very interesting. You know, I've, I've always been fairly curious about a lot of stuff, you know, meeting all these new people. And my wife transferred to the same university as me when we were sophomores. And then she was the whole time was like, she was, she had went to a Christian school, Campbellsville University. And, you know, they had chapel that they had to go to and they had classes that they had to do on the Bible. And I didn't have any of that. You know, I went to Western Kentucky University. And I remember she was like, you know, we're here in college, but we still need to go to church. Uh, we go with me, blah, blah, blah. And she would just go without me. And then finally, I remember she was like, okay, let's go to, uh, let's go to a church and how about we go to a church that maybe you're more comfortable with. I know that you were raised Pentecostal and I was raised non-denominational, but uh, I found a Pentecostal church here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I was like, okay, I'll go with you. And I was just doing it to appease her. Mm -hmm. And we went, we showed up, we opened the door. And I mean, I don't know if you've been to a Pentecostal church, but it is a lot of emotion led, like it's very spiritual. I'm not saying anything negative, but yeah. for example, there's like speaking in tongues or like, you know, the women will be very, very dressed up, but they'll take off their heels and they'll run across the pews. And, you know, <laughs> somebody who's just been in something that I would consider a very contemporary church, that can be quite frightening. <laughs> but we opened the door and like the whole church was black, except for me and my wife. And they were very loving and very welcoming and you know, made you feel very, uh, very comfortable being there. But I was like, okay, Bridget, you brought me here. We stayed through the whole service. And it was just like any other service that 
you know, I had been to growing up Pentecostal. No, still not for me. My wife, we finally moved back to somewhere around her hometown and we started working, got her big boy job. She's a teacher too. And she kept on trying to drag me to church. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then I started feeling some conviction about not going. Because I, 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 at the time, I felt like it was kind of ingrained in me. It's something I was supposed to do. And then we kept going and we went to, um, it was a Southern Baptist church that is very close to my house. And I don't know how many Sunday services we went to, but it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. You know, the music was a lot more upbeat. It wasn't just hymns. And I was like, okay. And then the, the, the lessons and the preaching and the involvement that you could have there, it was different than what I experienced because all the churches that I went to growing up were like less than 100 people. And it seems like it was the same message every week. And then all of a sudden now I'm starting to really learn. And then I remember one Sunday there was a song come on and I felt, you know, like the Holy Spirit start dealing with my heart and, and I just start crying. And then at the end of the service, like I couldn't wait to run up and ask one of the people that I built a relationship with there at church, he was the youth pastor. I was like, hey, you know, through tears, man, I want to change my life like this. You know my story. He's like, okay. He sat me down and we actually talked and prayed. And then I, it was at that moment that I actually dedicated, after all those years, finally pursuing Christ instead of just going through the motions and saying the right things and talking to people and not being fake, like being genuine and, and actually pursuing a relationship with God yeah. instead of just making a checkmark list of things I'm supposed to be to be a good Christian. So that's kind of my testimony. Long story, but uh, it was that's worth, awesome. It was worth every second because I know that I have heard as a, as a minister – hearing that story over and over again from guys your age or around your age of and we talked about this just recently there's a there is a movement going on of saying you know what it's time to reject just tradition not all traditions are bad traditions right. that are that are founded in scripture and that honor god those are great traditions but you made a comment in the middle of that there were two commandments jesus gave and somewhere along the way we've lost that and we've gone back to something that looks a lot more like what the Pharisees were doing in his time. And it's worth the large check that Easy Target's going to be mailing to you just to get that in our podcast. Yeah. I'm glad we got that in. And I know our time's getting short, so um, I never got to ask those questions that are keeping me up at night. No. Well, these guys may have some questions, too. I mean, I know I've got some things i got to find well, out about. I know yeah. I'm going to sleep good either way, so I don't want to deprive you yeah. of the opportunity of uh-huh. missing out on a restful night in the woods. Well, that's that's true. Which, by the way, it's you guys that, that get the credit for this, Jeremiah and, and, and your buddy John and some guests that you've had on. I, I have an underquilt now that I'm going to be testing out. It's supposed to get down to 28, 27 tonight. Where we're yeah. going, so I'm gonna test that bad boy out, see if it'll keep me warm. I can't wait any longer. I've got to ask this question. It takes you ten minutes to brush your teeth. 
Can you explain <laughs> that? I've been losing sleep over this. I've been talking about this for days. Really? Well, you know, whenever I was in high school, I didn't care a whole lot about my teeth. And I remember in 10th, I think it was 10th grade, I had this class, and there's this pretty girl sitting next to me. And she had beautiful It's always teeth. a girl. And yeah, it's always a girl. <laughs> and she had, uh, she had pretty teeth. And I was like, wow, her teeth look great. And then I looked at mine, I started scratching on, and I was like, oh, what's all this yellow stuff on my teeth? And then, of course, it was plaque. Because I was brushing my teeth like every other day or something ridiculous, <laughs> you know, some dumb kid. I was like, man, I got to start taking care of my teeth. And then I started brushing them at least once a day. And then I graduated college and got real medical insurance and started going to the dentist <laughs> every six months. And it pays for a teeth cleaning and there's a copay for cavities. And I'm not, I'm not huge on needles. Like I'm not like a little <laughs> sissy about it but I'm not happy about them. And I remember the first appointment, it took so long to clean my teeth. And I was like, man, this is ridiculous. I don't remember this as a kid. It was like quick and easy and you get, you know, candy afterward and it's a big celebration. You're at the dentist. <laughs> what kind of dentist did you go to growing up? <laughs> That's the right ones, man. <laughs> so I had this appointment with my real medical insurance and they did the teeth cleaning. And they're like, man, you're going to have to come back. And I'm like, why? They're like, well, we took x-rays and did you do all the scans of your teeth? You know, you got, you got this, uh, you got the appointment. They do all the scans. And they're like, okay, you got a cavity here, here, here. And I'm like, okay, when do I have to come back? And they're like, well, we can fit you in, blah, blah, blah. And so I come back and I had 12 cavities. Hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, 12 <laughs> cavities. And I was like, do you have to numb me up for that? I don't want those needles in my mouth. And they're like, I mean, we can try it, and if it starts hurting, we can feel. I mean, we can uh, we can numb you up. So I had them to fill all twelve of those cavities without any numbing medicine. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, not because I'm tough, just because I didn't want those needles in my mouth. And then from then on, I was like, "How many cavities? How many? I mean, I'm like more susceptible to cavities or something." They're like, "You do have a slight fluoride, like imbalancing your teeth." And it makes you more susceptible to cal uh, cavities. And I was like, what can I do about that? And they're like, let me give you some prescription toothpaste. So I got the prescription toothpaste and I use it every single night religiously. I was like, what else can I do? And they're like, you need, to uh, you need to floss your teeth every night before you brush them. And I was like, every night? Like I probably floss my teeth five times in my entire life. <laughs> and they're like, yep, every night. And they're like, there's a couple of cavities that we couldn't get to. Um, they're small, so if you use this, maybe it'll help. So sure enough, I'm talking, I didn't miss a single night for an entire year. And they take the scans the next year, cavity's gone. The, ca the couple of cavities that I had left. Wow. And I'm like, they're like, wow, you really been taking care of your teeth. And I'm like, I flossed them every single night. I didn't miss, I don't care if I was traveling, if I was staying out of buddies, whatever is going on, I flossed my teeth. And so... Then I was like, okay, well, I started losing weight. And I was like, and I was like, my teeth could be a little bit wider. And so, you know, I'm working on my confidence. I'm losing this weight. I'm changing clothing, being more fashionable, going outdoors, doing backpacking. And I buy my insurance will pay for like so much toward whitening strips. So I did. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make sure that I brush my teeth well. And I'm, I asked my dental hygienist, how long do you have to brush your teeth? They're like, well, it needs to be at least two minutes. So if I'm in a hurry, I'll set a, a stopwatch on my phone so that I'll limit it to two minutes. 
But I mean, I get in those puppies. I don't want any cavities, and I want those white teeth. And I got a comment on YouTube just the other day: greatest teeth in the game. Right Never there, <laughs> greatest teeth in the game. That's all I'm talking about. Somebody put that on a T-shirt. There you go. Well, now speaking of T-shirts, this guy has a T-shirt collection. Yeah. Because those YouTube videos, there's like a featured T-shirt every time. You know, I never, I never talked about that, but I do try to change up the T-shirts. Like people can't see it now, but I, I had this T-shirt made, and I don't know if you guys can see it, but yeah. it's got yeah. a little logo that looks like a chicken. <laughs> and it's by a backpacking company called Chicken Tramper. Awesome company. Not huh. to give a shameless plug, but uh, <laughs> I, I like to change up the T-shirts just for fun, just to see if anybody notices. There we go. Huh. Sweet. You know, other than that, I was just going to point out that I hear you're a big chocolate fan, which we have in common. Now, do you like the dark chocolate or are you a milk chocolate guy? I don't mean to be defensive, but I heard the other day that in recent recorded history, the woman that lived the longest out of all people ate two pounds of chocolate a week. There you go. See there? I believe it. (laughs) My odds are in my favor. I like... I'm a big milk chocolate guy, and I've these two students, lovely kids. Before I even had them in class, we were supposed to switch classes, and um, they're they're going to be my new students for the following term, like semester or whatever. And they, I had a Valentine's Day gift in the office, and it was from them, and I was supposed to get them the next week. And I was like, "Who's this Valentine's Day gift from?" And I looked in there. There's a full bag of Skittles, which I didn't eat a single one. But there was like three packs of Lindor chocolates, which has like the truffle in the middle. There was a whole bag of Dove chocolate, which I just finished yesterday. A whole bag of (laughs) white chocolate, Hershey's Kisses, which regular chocolate would have been better, but that's okay. Yeah. And several other candies. I love the milk chocolate. Well, See, I'm a dark chocolate guy now. The darker, the better. Kind of like my bread. It's a little, and my coffee. It's a little bit bitter. It is. It's a lot it of bit bitter. Yeah. He'll, he'll offer us some stuff on the trail sometimes, and you'll put it in your mouth, and you're like, yeah. man, I, I need some water. Go, go better with bitter. <laughs> when I was a kid, my mom, she, she liked to bake and stuff, and she would make these no-bake cookies. She called them oatmeal cookies. Uh-huh. And we would just eat them while they were uh, – have you all had them? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. This era, well, yeah, yeah. We would eat a bowl full of them, like <laughs> – you just pour it into the bowl, like slop it in there while not, you don't put them out as cookies. You eat them with a spoon. Yeah. Like yeah. hot oatmeal. And then she would also make chocolate <laughs> gravy. And you'd eat those, you'd eat that with biscuits. And I remember I was like, man, this is so good. Mom, what do you put in this? Like, why is it, like, where's the chocolate come from? And she said, it's coming from this cocoa powder, honey. And I was like, let me try some of that cocoa powder. <laughs> got a big spoon of it out, stuck it in my mouth. It was like doing a cinnamon challenge, man. It was awful. I was coughing and spitting, you know, gagging. That was very mean, Mom. If you listen to me, she probably doesn't even remember. That's, that's the insight. Now we know. So for the record, I just want to go back and say you are not a Kentucky Fried Space Cadet. Uh, you are a man of uh, a lot of wisdom. I know you're going to have to go. I know I've got to go because I've got uh, I got a couple of uh, my backpacking buddies waiting on me to come pick them up. I just appreciate you being with us. This has yeah. been awesome. I've had a ball. Yeah, same here. Really what, appreciate you coming on. What he's saying is he's tired of just me talking all the time, so he's glad somebody else came on. Hey, can I give a shout-out to one of our faithful Code listeners? Which one? Mountain Monk. Oh, right? oh yeah, please. Mount, yeah. Mountain Monk's another one of our backpacking guys. He, he goes with us a lot. 
He actually requested the other day. He said, listen, on the podcast, we need a little bit less overtrek. Can we get huh. a little bit less overtrek? This <laughs> wow. ask, ask and it's given. Wow. Ask and it's given. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, for the record, I'm, I'm leaving. So that's all I, I got to say about that. Yeah, this is what happens when you have a professional on yeah. versus easy target and rolling Napoleon. Yeah, but these guys are good for a lot of laughs, especially Napoleon. Yeah. Keeps us keeps us entertained on the trail. Yeah, that's the entertainment part of it. You said there's the the education and the entertainment. I'm definitely the entertainment aspect of it. <laughs> Somebody's got to bring the good time. Man. That's it. When we sign off, we always like to invite our guests to do the same. I guarantee it, it'll be better than mine. <laughs> we all have a have a distinctive sign off, except for the one still trying to find his. But uh, we want to give you the chance to sign off today as well. I mean, you're famous for. There's an expression you're known worldwide for. <laughs> Are you talking about the intro to the video? Yes. <laughs> but, okay. I keep in mind. I think that I want to put that on a T-shirt. And you know, have y'all ever seen the subtitles? They ever pop up on a video if y'all are like scrolling through YouTube and it's like auto plays and it mm-hmm. tells you in little letters. Yeah. Yeah. You know what mine says? What's going on? Hawkers. I'm going to put yeah. what's going on hawkers on a t-shirt and mark out hawkers. Yeah. <laughs> hawkers. Yeah. 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 That's it. <laughs> on, on the back of it, you can say best teeth in the game. Yes. <laughs> I love it like a jersey. Yeah. Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for everyone listening to this edition of the Code of Man podcast. going to go down in history for sure. And until next time, this is Mike Overtrek Barnett saying happy trails to all of you. And this is Dr. Dean Roland Napoleon, and you are welcome. This is Jeremiah Stringer. What's going on, honkers? Hope you all enjoyed, and adios. (laughs) And this is Corey Easy Target Cantrell saying thanks so much for joining us. Hope you've had fun. See you next week. That was great. Champion